You're listening to the awesome Podcast Network. This is 80s Revisited. I'm your producer, Jesse Sedgley. And now your hosts, Daniel Sanangelo and Trey Harris. I want that diagram, Brain. Uh, it's at my place, Duke. Uh, Duke, <clears throat> that Pliskin said something about a time limit. What time limit? On him. That's a lot of crap. What did I teach you? Uh, you, you are... Duke of New, New York, you're uh, A number one. I can't hear you. You, you are the Duke of New York, you're A number one. Listen to 80s Revisited when they talk about this movie on this episode. Thank you, Donald. Late, great Donald Pleasance for coming back to life to do that live promo for 80s Revisited. Wow. It's a soldier. We, we want the best and we get the best mm-hmm. on the only podcast called 80s Revisited on iTunes. <laughs> that is okay. true. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Harris. Awkward silence for our former host, Daniel, who's not here. And our producer, Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And in case you didn't know, by listening to last week's episode, or if you were awesome enough to simply listen to this and realize exactly what movie this before mentioned before a played clip was from, <laughs> you would know that we're doing the John Carpenter 1981 classic, Escape from New York, mm. uh, released July 10th, 1981, IMDb 7.2, Rotten Tomatoes, critics, 83%, 77% audience, so a uh, little bit closer of a margin between kind of critics and audience uh, than what we saw last week with uh, Bill and Ted. Uh, still, a 7.2 on IMDb is a pretty decent score pretty good score actually in my opinion anything over a seven oh uh, yeah yeah it's really good uh the budget was a six million dollar estimated budget opened at 4.1 domestically 25.2 so big money maker uh here but then overseas the worldwide total 53.2 so big big blockbuster uh mainly overseas but nevertheless uh this was john carpenter's big well not well halloween notwithstanding this was his biggest commercial movie success mm. at the time because of course Halloween was independent uh, I think Assault on Precinct was also kind of more of an indie film but this was his really big budget at the biggest budget he ever seen for a film at this point and uh, it did its job and of course uh, I think let's see 81 92 when did, let's see when did uh, the sequel come? 96 so about 15 years later we get the sequel even though this one was especially coming on 81 you know the decade of sequels yeah. For everything from Rocky to Friday the 13th, uh, the sequel for this didn't happen until 1996. Uh, uh, but that's neither here nor there because we're, we're talking about the original, The Escape from New York, not from L.A. Uh, of course, directed by the great John Carpenter, who, this is our 91st episode. He directed the film of our first episode. And ironically so, it also starred the same lead character. Of go. course, Big Trouble Little China, one of the greatest films of all time. And as I mentioned before, John Carpenter also, of course, directed Halloween and also the Jeff Bridges 80s classic, Starman. Uh, it was written by John Carpenter himself and also his friend Nick Castle. Uh, Nick Castle is also a veteran of the podcast. He directed The Last Starfighter, and he was also, until he went into directing with his friend John Carpenter, uh, he was more known as the original person who played Michael Myers, that creepy walk mm-hmm. from the original Halloween, which is, that his walk is the reason that he 
that John Carpenter asked him to be Michael Myers. He said, dude, you walk. No, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing. He's like, dude, you have a creepy walk. Be the killer. And he's like, Castle was okay. the original Michael Myers. Although three people played him in the original because you had a different face when he pulls the mask off and uh, the young kid actor. Uh, starring one of the greatest actors ever, Kurt Russell, in one of probably his most iconic character, aside from Big Trouble in Little China, is Jack Burton, the one, the only Snake Plissken, often imitated, never, what's the saying? Duplicated. Duplicated, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, of course, Kurt Russell, Overboard, Big Trouble in Little China, The Thing, Dark Blue, Death Proof, one of the greatest actors of all time, and Stargate, uh, Although when Stallone asked him to be in The Expendables, he was like, nope, I don't want to do a group movie. Which I don't know why, because when you have a cast like you have in The Expendables, the li- literally the only thing that could make it better would be Kurt Russell. He didn't want to do a group movie? That was supposedly his excuse. He didn't want to do no. an ensemble cast thing. Well, you which, could see him in Fast and Furious 7 coming in 2015. Oh, uh, no. Because no. that's not a group movie. I don't know his reasoning, but you know, it, uh, when they kind of were saying for three, how they were getting Harrison Ford and Wesley Snipes, and yeah. I was like, oh, hell, awesome, please. Because Chuck Norris wasn't returning because he didn't want to, I think, Expendables 3 is R-rated, I think. I could be off on that because uh, he didn't want to do another violent or R-rated movie or something. I can't remember. But Chuck Norris was out of the third one. Look at his last movie, The Art of Steel, the cover, eight people on it. <laughs> it's like the cover of The Expendables, <laughs> except he's the most well-known actor That of might have been it. Could like, be. I don't want a group movie where I'm not in the front of this group. Or he totally could have just been misquoted. I don't know. But he should have been it's in the Expendables. more fun if we say it. I mean, he, the thing is, he should have been in the Expendables with an eye patch. They should, he should even be Snake Plissken. How awesome would that be? Yeah. Just crossover. Exactly. He could be the villain. I don't care. Just, be, you know, the Expendables series is everything that was great about 80s action movies right you know if Patrick Swayze God rest his soul was not dead I guarantee you he'd be in it oh yeah you know I mean it's it's anybody who grew up on those 80s action movies you have no excuse not to love the Expendables there's actually an urn in the back of one of these scenes <laughs> that's, that's the <laughs> they should do something where like a character rips out somebody's throat and do an homage or something yeah something or dives out of a plane without their parachute or you know, does something in reference to the late, great Patrick Swayze. But, uh, yeah, uh, also starring another... John Carpenter's one of those direct directors that likes to use the same people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Donald Pleasance returns. Of course, he was the iconic Dr. Loomis from Halloween 1 and 2, and then eventually 4, 5, and 6. Uh, he was now. the president. Yeah, he passed away uh, before they finished uh, Halloween 6. He died. Mm. Uh, of course, I remember mainly from other than Halloween and this... Uh, Fantastic Voyage. He was the uh, kind of the saboteur on board the shrunken capsule, and uh, eventually a white blood cell eats him, and that always creeped me out because <laughs> he's sitting there screaming, and this white clear Jello thing is like eating his face. Oh, so I was, I was just like, oh, I don't like this part, <laughs> and I wouldn't want. I'd look away. Uh, another late great. Well, he was great at first. Isaac Hayes is, of course, uh, he was the uh, Duke of New York, most widely known as Chef, and Definitely of course late, the theme song too. of uh, from Shaft. Uh, but of course, he left left uh, South Park after eight. I think maybe it was maybe even ten seasons. It was a while. Whenever they did, had the whole death of Chef thing, yeah. Because Isaac Hayes quit South Park after they did their episode that ribbed on Scientology, mm-hmm. which you know, okay, yeah, that's your religion. But get, but in fact, I think Trey Parker and Matt Stone said the, had the quote where they said, you know, it was fine we diss Mormonism, Christianity, you know, all the other religions. But the second yeah. we did a Scientology episode, he got mad and quit. 
That's because Scientologists are crazy. Yep. I'm sorry Mind if you're a Scientologist, control. and you can you now have to. Uh, I forget the word, not blacklist, but the people that are. You have I'm to an, email us. <laughs> I'm now an OP to a Scientologist, an oppressive person because I don't agree with their beliefs, so they have you're to. You're on the list. They have to disassociate themselves from me. Oh, they put you on a list, and they gotta. Yeah, you know, do I'm, I'm sure I've been on it because when we went, I think I told this story before. When we went to LA, I took a picture of the big Scientology headquarters, and that one picture on my digital camera was whited out. Oh, wow. As though there was some sort of alien device that manipulated the image. But, it's probably uh, like some kind of laser up yeah. there that just <laughs> finds lenses. Oh, wait, it, it, well, they knew me from my biorhythms that Trey Harris, an oppressive person, yeah. was in the vicinity, so they had to activate their anti-photography and anti their countermeasures yeah. to avoid spying. All your thetans were just screaming. Yeah, them. and they're just like, oh, no, it's an agent <laughs> of Xenu. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, my apologies if you are a Scientologist. I just completely think that that false religion is You have to email us because... That'd just be interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if you'd like to have an open debate about it, I'm more than happy to. Yeah. But I'm not a racist. I'm not a bigot. But Scientology is a cult. Yeah. So get the fuck out. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about <laughs> Escape from New York. Uh, also starring... That's why Daniel uh, quit the show. <laughs> he became a Scientologist. <laughs> and we knew we were going to talk about this on this episode, and he got the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Another late and great actor is three in a row. Here. Actually, about to be four in a row after uh, Lee Van Cleef, but he was Hawk, uh, most notably the villain in Good, Bad, the Ugly, and uh, I think uh, a few dollars more, or maybe a fistful, one of them. But, uh, a fistful of a few dollars more. <laughs> yeah, a fistful of a few dollars more <laughs> and the ugly. Uh, but very famous uh, Western actor, spaghetti Western actor especially. He was kind of the, op- usually the op- he was the villain to Eastwood's Man With No Name. Uh, very iconic actor. Uh, in fact, John Carpenter really wanted to work with him because, uh, you know, John Carpenter's done, you know, he's most notable for his horror films. That became his genre du jour, so to speak, or not of the day, but his uh, speciality, uh, horror and sci-fi. Uh, but he always loves, he always loved Westerns, mm-hmm. which is, this Escape from New York is basically a Western, but in the future, in a sense. Which was you know, part of the mentality behind the script and everything. And again, another late great, Ernest Borgnine was cabbie. Uh, I always remember him as uh, the dude from the Poseidon Adventure. I always remember him from Basketball. Oh, I forgot he was in that. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. Also uh, with Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Speaking Except he of, didn't get all pissed off. Yeah, because yeah, <laughs> he's dead. Yeah, because he's dead. But uh, also, uh, he's a, one of those older actors, uh, Dirty Dozen, Wild Bunch. Uh, very, very famous, you know, and a big, and this, this movie really does have some big names, especially for the time period it was made, despite being, you know, not an, un- well, honestly, kind of an unusual and, uh, what's the word, ambitious film at the time, too, with the story, especially with the state of visual effects at the time. And, of course, John Carpenter, the king of making what he can with a low budget, as well, on top of that. Uh, yeah. That one point, lovely Adrian Barbeau was Maggie. Uh, she was the heroine in the original Swamp Thing and also John Carpenter's The Fog and also married at this time to John Carpenter. Mm. So, but she was an actress first. So it wasn't necessarily that she's banging the director, he's going to put her in the movie, but I'm sure that's something to do with it. (laughs) And an alumni of the podcast, an 80s B-movie icon, Tom Atkins was Reem. Uh, Of course, on this podcast, he was a Knight of the Creeps, also Lethal Weapon. And on this year's Halloween coverage, Halloween 3... He will return to the podcast. Uh, and also, the great Harry Dean Stanton was Brain. Uh, most people probably remember him from Alien. Uh, I just watched the other day, and I can't remember his damn name, but he's like the f- second dude that gets killed with the hat. 
mm. talking about his share. But uh, he's been in a ton of shit. Uh, yeah. Paris, Texas. I mean, he's he's a very well-known actor. In fact, there's a documentary on Netflix that I haven't watched yet. It's on my queue, but it's about him and just how everybody in Hollywood knows him. Yeah. Like, he's just been and done so much that... Like, character actors. Yeah. And stuff. You know, yeah. he's extremely well-known despite not being that, you know, Tom Star. Cruiser. Yeah. You know, exact good... That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Star! <laughs> but, uh... Star. This is a movie that, uh... I was all I was familiar with the TV version as a kid naturally because it came out in eighty one R rated movie, mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily a, an R you know in a sense of like you know it's I guess just the theme of the movie. Uh, it's really not it's not overly violent. I mean, there's not like you know you know in John Carpenter fashion, it's not bloody per se. Uh, I sound like one of the one of the vampire kids <laughs> from South Park per se. Uh, you know, so it's really not. You know, today it will be PG thirteen. Well, here is everything for the parents to learn from this movie. <laughs> lots of gore, lots of yeah. I didn't even notice. Sexy. I didn't even notice that there's apparently a set of exposed breasts because it's let's see, very brief and also very dimly lit. I never noticed them, and I always <laughs> look for that. You know, so it's not a definitely a PG thirteen today. Yeah, yeah. But uh, of course, at the time it was R. And the thing is, it's so funny because when you talk about an '80s movie and it's rated R. You really expect it to be a hard heart today in a big way oh, because yeah, yeah. of the, you know, the 80s was a decade of excess, especially in its R-rated movies yep. and action movies especially. You know, so it's, uh, but again, it's John Carpenter. He doesn't, you know, part of the genius of Halloween to me, be it accidental or budgetary constraints, the gore isn't, a, you know, it's not Saw. It's not yeah. all over the place. It's more about what you don't see that's really more scary, which, of course, Spielberg says he used it in Jaws, but it was actually because he could. The shark wasn't working. <laughs> uh, but, of course, it all goes back to Alfred Hitchcock, who kind of first had that technique about, you know, sort of like, the, it's the Godzilla technique. You don't blow your load till the end. Right. So don't complain that Godzilla isn't killing everything for the first two hours. <laughs> you got to wait for that last ten minutes because that's the payload. I did see that. Oh, you did? Did you like it? I did. I loved it. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. That the whole I mean, on a, if you're a Godzilla fan and you want to see that movie, you're waiting pretty much for two things. You're waiting for him to roar. Yeah. And you're waiting for him to use his breath like the big yeah, the fight breath. scene. And this the, when he that when it, that slow pan up and he does the roar, I'm just like, Yeah, it's so awesome. you know, I'm just smiling ear to ear. And mm-hmm. then I didn't think they were gonna have the the breath in the movie just because it seemed like it was the, I gonna knew be they a had more. to. The whole time I was like, Fight's not over yet. It's not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was so I was shocked because I didn't expect it because then it, it shows that blue glow I'm like oh yeah. shit yeah. oh yeah and then Here charges it up and he uses it like so badass but anyway yeah. <laughs> wait for uh, Ought 14 revisited and it made sense to me completely the whole idea of the direction they were going with yeah, it I, I thought, king of monsters yeah that's it that's exactly it yeah and it I mean, was awesome but Sam didn't have enough guys shut the fuck up <laughs> yeah uh, yeah <laughs> The superior beast. Anyway, it's better than the 80s version. Oh, yeah. Godzilla 85 with Raven Burr. <laughs> and the Super X. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Maybe this... Maybe we'll watch that one next, you know. In the, might have to... I mean, of course, you know, we, we... I used to be on the ball with what was coming out to where we would tie it in with, like, something right. coming out and totally drop the ball on that <laughs> one. Or drop the bomb on that one. Oh, well, we had the 80s series. Going. Oh, yeah, we couldn't, we couldn't interrupt that. All right. Of course, good point. But uh, this was a movie that I was always familiar with. Mm-hmm. And then, like, for example, uh, going back to RoboCop as a perfect example, growing up on the TV version, 
until a few years later where I rented the real one mm-hmm. and my mind was blown. Kind of like Murphy's. Uh, bad joke. But too soon, too soon. You know, watching Robocop on TV and then watching the real movie is night and day. Yeah. I remember when the first time I watched this movie, it was everything I remembered. Like, I don't think they even cut it for the TV version because it's really tame mm-hmm. for an R-rated movie. You know, but uh, the, this movie I appreciated more. I always liked it growing up because Kurt Russell is, he's a character in this movie. And, you know, always, Snake, call me Snake. <laughs> you know, he's got that personality. And, of course... Eventually, one of my favorite game series of all time, Metal Gear Solid, the character in the mo- in the game, Snake, is based on Snake Plissken. So all you video gamers that didn't know that, oh, absolutely. you ever yeah. wondered why he has a patch on now? It's because he's literally Snake Plissken, basically. Uh, this movie was extremely influential, influential on Hideo Kojima, the creator of the Metal Gear series, so much that his character is named Snake. And on the NES version, for some reason, even though his na- he's named Snake, his likeness is of Mel Gibson. So, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but nonetheless, this is a movie, the more, like, especially watching it today, the thing that is just really good about this movie, because it's definitely dated with the effects and everything, which I like. I like how it looks like a, a movie out of, you know, it looks like it's a unique looking movie nowadays because of just how it looks. Mm-hmm. And if that makes any sense whatsoever. Uh, you know, it's not like, it's not a blue screen. This is all done... What kind of technology was that? Did you see that? A I tape? Know, a cassette tape? tape? I was laughing at the way he was driving. Just <laughs> swinging the wheel every way. Well, he's, of course, Kurt, not defending him, but you know, Kurt Russell was a boy actor. And back in the day, on all them old movies, when people are driving, yeah. All, you know, yeah. what are you talking about? They're swerving all over the road. Like, hey, we got to keep driving here. When I was in kindergarten, we had the fake cars out there. And the, oh, in the playground? Yeah. And that's how I did, because that's how they did in movies. <laughs> exactly. That's how you drive. <laughs> Well, of course. Now, actually, I can explain why he's driving like this in this movie. Because, you know, New York's been walled off. These cars, you know, they don't have auto body shop. They don't have all the parts. So the, the front end alignment's probably out. So oh, he's got to yeah, kind of yeah. continually adjust. It. Yeah. That, so, Plus all the debris in the road and stuff. Naturally, even though he's not looking. I mean, you got those chandelier parts just, <laughs> just hanging out. Your, block, your, per, your peripherals are kind of <laughs> cut in half. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, but the, the, to me, the, 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 the thing that holds up so well for this movie is just the overall story it like it, it almost makes sense you know wall off new york city make it a prison and just dump everybody in there let them fend for themselves yeah. and the rest of the united states is not crime free but hey in fact they even go the cool thing about escape from la until i mean honestly that movie's great until the the earthquake wave scene with peter fauna that's just ridiculous <laughs> but uh that notwithstanding uh they talk and when he he's going into la to rescue uh the president's daughter i think in that one uh they're like, as he's being processed, it's like, if you'd rather be electrocuted instead of go to the prison, you know, step in line here. And, like, it shows, like, people, like, choosing to, you know, in a sense, suicide rather than go have to survive in L.A. Yeah. In a similar situation. It's like, same thing as in New York. You know, it's a prison. Uh, but I, just, again, the plot and the whole aspect of, like, they put the bomb in his neck. Like, you you know, he's on a timer. This is your mission. you got to get it back here and we'll deactivate and you'll live and you'll be pardoned. Yeah. You know, it's a it's an awesome story. And it's, you know, uh, I'm sure, I know he based it on a, an old Western. Not so much, but basically where the, the dude had to go. No, excuse me, it was a science fiction story he based it on. Where a dude had to go to a planet and he couldn't get back. So it was more so like a, re, you know, but he kind of adapted it for this story where you have a, a famous outlaw. Has to go do a mission, but, you know, the the uh, the catch is that he has to, he you know, that what's keeping him in line and not uh, doing what, anything, yeah. Which, which is a good thing they did that in this one because in Escape from L.A., 
when they do this, they pull the same shit on Snake, and like you know, he's playing it cool because he knows the drill kind of, and he's, they give him his weapon. He's like, "Cool, I'll see you. I'll see you in a few minutes." And he just immediately tries to shoot him, hmm. and he's like, "Ha ha, Snake! The first round, the first magazine's blanks. We thought you'd try that, you know, because oh, yeah. he's because he's they they don't they figure they can't trick him again, even though they they don't do don't in the sec in the second one, <laughs> which of course you haven't seen the second one. It's a good follow up, but it's it has its it's silly. This yeah. one to me has realistic elements to it, as so far you know. If, if all these people were trapped on New- on Manhattan and it was walled up, you would have in a sense tribes, so to speak, for lack of a better word, you know, factions that would come up, uh, similar to the Batman comic No Man's Land, which was a hero clicks thing, and uh, yeah. you know you have different factions on a destroyed Gotham where certain people have control. But in this movie, there's the Duke of New York. He's the main one. He's mm-hmm. kind of assuming control and uh, controlling the food, all that kind of stuff. Similar to what those uh, dudes in Ethiopia, whatever warlords do. You know, when they when we drop food to help the starving people, they go with their guns and get it, and then they distribute it so they have the power. Yeah, you know, it's kind of a similar situation, but it makes sense in this one. Escape from L.A. is just over the top and crazy, mm-hmm. but it's John Carpenter and Kurt Russell doing an escape from whatever movie, and it's awesome because. Snake Plissken is one of the greatest characters of all time. Just saying. <laughs> but uh, in fact, there was always... Don't say a, that yet. Don't say that. <laughs> I, I have to say it at least 10 times in this episode, or it's not true. Or it's not true, yeah. But uh, there was always talk that they were going to do... Well, they mentioned in L.A., I think, Cleveland. Like, Escape from Cleveland. Of all cities, Cleveland. I'm not sure why. But then after... From after the New York came out, because the end, basically the world shut down, spoiler alert, uh, the next... They always talked about doing a third one. It would be, it would be Escape from Earth, to where you know, the planet's... You know, whatever, uh, yeah. and then and which plus you would got be the budget for yeah, sci-fi effects, which would be awesome. You know, this is a movie we talked last week. Bill and Ted doesn't need a third one. Like that right. character, you know, they ended it really good. You know, it, they it was a great ending. There's no no further story to tell necessarily. I mean, I'm sure J.J. Abrams come up with something great. I don't care. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, they could, you know, because this character is so awesome, they they, they could do this one. You know, yeah. and John Carpenter is very, as you can see from his, let's see, 1948. So yeah, I mean, he's. And if you see him in interviews, I mean, he looks like, you know the scene in uh, Last Crusade where the dude drinks out of the wrong grail? Right. John Carpenter's slowly starting to look like that. He's an old guy. It's not too bad. It's like what? Let's see, 50, 64, 66. But he looks, he's also a heavy smoker like his whole life. Other people born in 48, Samuel L. Jackson, Jeremy Irons. Well, I mean, come on. If you look at Olivia Newton-John, holy shit. (laughs) But, uh, I mean, if you look at them compared, like a modern picture of them. To what John Carpenter, yeah. he doesn't look that old. He looks. Oh yeah, no, but I'm saying the internals are still working. That's true. <laughs> but I mean, he's a heavy smoker, so like late great Jim Varney, you know, that can at any time be taken from us. Yeah. There's a lot of fucking people born that year. Jesus. Oh yeah. Wow. Like there's a bit. Well, there's a couple of stinkers, but. George Depardieu. Hours <laughs> <laughs> Booth, say. Marco Kidder. Wow. Meg Foster from They Live and Steven Tyler, who's. Practically melted already. <laughs> wow. That was a great year for talent. Rhea Perlman, yeah. Phil Hartman, he's gone. Yeah. And John Ritter, I saw too at the top. You know, yeah. George R.R. R. Martin? There you go. That's like yeah. the year of genius. Like, what's the what's that uh, Zodiac sign, uh, Chinese Zodiac sign for that year? Must be a really good oh, one. Oh, yeah. I don't know. That one I don't have but any- easy access to. <laughs> Just spitballing. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, yeah, this I would love to see a third one in this series. It's the rat. The rat. Yeah. Oh, you're a rat? My wife's motioning off mic that she's a rat. You yeah. dirty rat. Do so, dirty you, rat. You obviously need to be a celebrity, so work on that. 
She's mouthing the word genius, but... That's 1984, people. And 72. And... Upcoming 2020. All you future... All future parents the plan future. for 2020. For the year of the rat. Yeah. Let's see. I can understand if there's anything that might say like something about creativity or something. We'll make big Charismatic. Movies, huh? How about that? <laughs> we'll be very Successful. big stars. <laughs> big star. But, uh... Yeah, this uh, to me, Escape from New York still holds up as far not not quite like uh, I was going to give an example, but I forgot. Not quite like RoboCop to where to me on every level that movie fits even mm-hmm. today. Uh, the biggest thing to me with Escape from New York is mainly the effects are by today's standard terrible, <laughs> but for at the time were really great for what there was what there was back then. Yeah. In fact, uh, uh, we're, me and Jesse were watching a clip from the movie for the intro. And there's the, all the scenes where you see, like, the black and then the green grid of New York. Uh, like, you know, it's like the drones flying over and when snakes flying into land. That isn't a computer effect. That is actually a model they built of New York, spray-painted it completely black, and then took tape and gridded the entire thing. <laughs> and then it's under black light, so it glows green and looks like a computer image. Yeah. And the thing wow. is, when, when you watch it, when like, I never knew that. I thought it was a computer, you know, because, yeah. you know... Uh, Apple and Mac and that was you know it was black and green so it it seemed like it was just a computer thing to me but no it's actually a model and when you watch it it looks really good like that that effect looks really good and and it's a practical effect it's you know when you know what's happening jeez yeah yeah Uh, if you're looking forward to be like closer to the beginning where he's flying in it's like the really big beginning they show it twice like a couple different times but like the big like where it's kind of going through the city is when he's flying in the glider before he uh, before he lands I'll find it eventually but it looked it's, <laughs> it's amazing but uh you know the uh this is it's, I would compare how this movie's dated in a way similar to the Warriors mm. great movie still holds up but it has that look that it's not that's before the, f- the 80s. Even. Yeah, well, that was like, I think, 78. 79, you know, not, yeah. yeah. I was hoping it was the 80s because I wanted to do it on the podcast, but it wasn't. But, <laughs> you know, and in fact, movies like Escape from New York actually, because, again, it was made in 91, but it's saying like the year is 97. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's on, movies from the 80s, a lot of them had that, you know, like the future, you know, they'd give a future date for when something would be taking place. Most of those dates have happened, with the exception of Star Trek, it's like 20. 20 something you know 20 yeah, way you know, another 100 years in the future you know but a lot of these yeah there you go that's a model taped to be a grid uh that is crazy but nowadays for a lot of movies you know that take place in the future it doesn't give a date it's all you know in the future or they just don't say anything you just you naturally because of what you're seeing you know it's the future mm-hmm. so they, they keep it from being out of time in a sense which, of course, you know, in this movie, you see the Twin Towers predominantly through the entire thing. He lands his plane, his glider, on top of the Twin Towers. Yeah. Which, in our timeline, that couldn't happen. That's true. But in 1997, <laughs> so, it could. Yeah. Oh, wait, oh, you're right. Excuse me. <laughs> you're absolutely right. My bad. <laughs> but, of course, New York wasn't a fault prison at the time. But yeah. that is true. Didn't even think about that. Or Good job it? on the chronology there, Justin. <laughs> see, that, that dude who took that phone booth from last episode created this alternate reality. Yeah. Where the, you know... <laughs> It's all, it all goes back to that Nintendo Power winner. You know, hook us up, bro. <laughs> but anyway, uh, the great Kurt Russell has stated that this is his... Escape from New York is, in fact, his favorite film that he's done, and Snake Plissken is his favorite character, oh, which good. is awesome, but, you know, Jack Burton. 
It's like it's <laughs> it's so hard, you know. It's like to me, they're it's so like they're two very iconic characters, especially you know, growing up on them and everything. Uh, I mentioned the wireframe computer graphics, blah blah blah. Uh, this was pretty interesting. There's a shot in the film where the helicopter is uh, flies over Central Park, and it was actually filmed in a park in San Fernando, California. But the matte painting of New York in the background was actually done by none other than James Cameron. Hmm. Because, of course, he wasn't always a visionary director, deep-sea explorer, uh, philanthropist, all that other kind of crap that he is, artist. Wait, this, he, this wasn't artistic. Thing, so he wasn't, he wasn't <laughs> so he in fact, was an, an artist, artist at this time. Uh, you know, so it's pretty cool. Uh, the manhole covers in the film were actually made of wood and then painted because the actors couldn't actually lift a real manhole. Because uh, back then in the '80s they were like you know solid iron, deadly project. You know, I mean, they weren't literally weren't like yet had that tool that you kind of would see in some older movies. Like it looks like a crowbar. We have to hook it in and then like drag it off because they're pretty solid. Uh, this was pretty interesting. I thought you know we always like to talk about like who might have been approached to play a role or you know how it could have been different in the alternate yeah. timelines. Tom Selleck. Boost- no. <laughs> no, almost as bad. <laughs> Nick Nolte was one of them. Oh, wow. Uh, again, but it's 80s Nick Nolte, so maybe it could have worked. Uh, Jeff Bridges was also approached to play Snake Plissken. Uh, both were uninterested. Uh, of course, uh, Bridges would work with Carpenter later on Starman. Yeah. Uh, and strangely enough, Chris Christopherson was considered as a possible candidate for the lead also, but he was not approached because his last film, Heaven's Gate, was such a failure. Oh, wow. And in fact, the studio wanted Tommy Lee Jones as the main character. Again, 80s Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, for the role, but pretty much because Carpenter always wanted Kurt Russell, but the studio didn't believe that Kurt Russell could do an action hero because up until this point, he was mainly like a television. He did Elvis. You know, he wasn't a action star. You know, so it was it, this was a big crossover movie for him yeah. to... But of course, he's so versatile. I mean, he's done comedy. You know, he does, he does a little bit of everything and he's great in uh, any genre pretty much, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, a little bias. A little bias. <laughs> this is funny too. Uh, of course, I want, like we like to mention when there's a strange congruence about overseas when the movie's released overseas, what they change. Uh, the, they actually changed his name from Snake Plissken, and in Italy he was Hyena Plissken. Hyena. Despite having a snake tattooed on his chest. Uh, and we in, don't uh, know what snakes are. <laughs> and this wasn't too bad. In Korea, they called him Cobra. So, hmm. although what happened when the Let's Stallone movie Cobra comes out? Cobra Pliskin. They call that brother. snake. <laughs> yeah, that's a snake. Not a cobra. Call uh, that a snake. This is a snake. And actually, John Carpenter wrote this film in the mid-70s as a reaction to the Watergate scandal, but no studio wanted to make it at that point hmm. because uh, it, they thought it was too dark and too violent. But then after he releases a little film called Halloween in 78, and he's made a huge... It was the most successful independent film of all time. At mm-hmm. that point, they started looking at what he was actually making and you know, going with that. Giving him a shot at something bigger. Uh, this is pretty funny too. In the there's one shot early in the film where the when the president's plane is being hijacked by the chick from Halloween too, Doctor uh, Donald Pleasance's assistant. Matter of fact, uh, the Secret Service there's a Secret Service agent banging on the door to like get in to the cockpit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Secret Service agent is the son of Gerald Ford. The president, Gerald Ford. That's some deep trivia right there. Totally deep. I think that's the only thing he ever did. I don't know why he even had him for that, but he knows a guy that knows a guy that's son of Joe Ford. <laughs> and I thought this this was really interesting, and this ties into today. Uh, the additional shot of Adrian Barbeau's corpse, spoiler, 
was actually shot in John Carpenter's driveway long after they wrapped principal photography. Hmm. And this was added because a then-teenaged J.J. Abrams suggested it to John Carpenter after he saw an early cut of the film because his father, uh, Abrams' father, worked for the studio that produced the film, and Abrams pointed out to Carpenter that her death was never fully established. Which, if you watch it with that in mind, without them showing her smashed by being ran into by a car, mm-hmm. you d- she could have moved out of the way. But I would naturally I would assume that she got hit anyway. Right. But J.J. Abrams making impacts in films in '81, <laughs> you know, and of course now he's about to hopefully not fuck up Star Wars, which I have all the faith in the world in him. He's got about six shots at. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, of course we we would love to hear what Dana would have to say. Since he'd probably never seen this film, but we I won't. I thought it was terrible. Cause... Yeah, I don't like John Carpenter. Kurt, yeah. I mean, Kurt Russell's okay. He gets a point for Kurt Russell, so I'll give it a four. Yeah. Hypothetically. Daniel, again, send us an email because we don't talk to you face to face anymore. That's true. Uh, 80 visit at gmail.com, by the way, if you forgot the email address, Daniel. <laughs> uh, but my score for this film will be 9.3. And it is, uh, naturally, 9.3. again, my scores are a little bit biased because I don't have somebody to bounce them off of who hasn't seen it before to kind of taper my excitement and nostalgia for it. You'd probably but, give it a. Daniel? I think that would be high for him. Oh, really? Because normally he gives everything a 6 anyway. Maybe a 5.5. Maybe a 5. I think, I assume he would like it better than Big Trouble in Little China, strangely enough. Yeah. There are people out there like that, I guess. (laughs) But uh, honestly, the reason, again, going back to what I said earlier, uh, it is a good movie, but again, it's just such a good plot. Mm-hmm. From start to finish, it's a good plot. It's not, I want, I'm not gonna say it's executed perfectly, but for the time, the best that that it could be, to me, in my opinion. And uh, of course, they did bounce around remaking this a few years ago with actually uh, Gerard Butler doing the role of Snake. <laughs> and the awesome thing about that, when they were kind of talking about that, was that there was actually a quote from Kurt Russell when they asked him about that people were remaking it, what he thought, and he his only reply to the interviewer was that he is. He, well, his quote was, "I am Snake Plissken." Right. Hell yeah. Come do a third one. Get <laughs> Carpenter off his ass. Do Escape from Earth. Because every single movie that Kurt... And I've, I've blabbed about this on the podcast before. I know, so I'm sorry if it's redundant. <laughs> but every movie that Kurt Russell and John Carpenter do together is gold to me. And one of the best things about it is they do commentaries for their movies together. And their commentary track on The Thing, on Big Trouble... Uh, I'm sure there's... I think there is one on the DVD, the special edition of Escape from New York. Uh, they are... St- amazing comment they're among my favorite commentaries ever yeah they're just so it's like it's two friends and it's not just talking about you know arnold i love him to death but he has the worst commentary <laughs> oh look i'm shooting the gun now oh Good i get sucked out to one. mars but it's not really mars it was a studio we were in don't be afraid and it's just he's basically again love him to death but he explains the movie he's not right. really he doesn't really give any kind of... He explains what people are seeing on screen. Yeah. No, the lady just is blowing up. Oh, the three, the three-breasted <laughs> woman was really great. Yeah. I remember backstage we were touching them. It was great. And like, oh, look, I got to shoot the midget now. Yeah. You know, he's, it's literally like watching a book on tape. With, you, know, you could just not even watch the movie and you, can, you know what's happening. Right. Because he's narrating it. Which isn't necessarily bad, but it's not what you're looking for in a it's commentary. It's a different form of entertainment, yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely. But when, when Kurt Russell and John Carpenter are talking, it's all about, you know, the fun that they had making it, the interesting stuff that happened. Yeah. It's what you look for in a commentary, but it's they're not like, hi, I'm Robert Zemeckis, and this is my film. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not I'm just 
that was the first non carpenter director that came to mind. I'm not saying he does bad commentaries, yeah. you know, but a lot of commentaries you listen like, to. Hey, there's <laughs> a lot of quiet, you know, and they're basically just watching. Oh yeah, I remember this part. This part was great. I remember the day we came to set for that. It was cool. Like, yeah, their commentaries yeah, that are day. not like yeah, mm-hmm. you know. It was. I remember sweating. Then I went to my trailer, and then silence for like ten minutes, and then oh, this was a great part. Yeah, you know, it's like, which you know, whatever, but. South Park commentaries, they're, they're really good, but they're so yeah, short. Yeah, like, which is, honestly, it's great because, like they say in the commentaries, like, to say. This, yeah. we ain't gonna, this is the story of this episode. Like, this is all That's the cool it. stuff about it. Yeah. So we're not going to bother you for the next 20 minutes <laughs> of the episode. This is all the cool stuff. So, and yeah. uh, in fact, but their commentary that's always entertaining was the Cannibal the Musical one. Yeah. That one was, that one was great. Uh, and Orgasmo had three different ones. I've, I have that, but I've never listened to any of the commentaries on it. Well, they have one with the cast and crew, and then they have one with a bunch of people that weren't involved in the movie whatsoever, <laughs> like Weird Al's in there. Are you ser- oh, dear God. <laughs> funny you mentioned Weird Al. He's coming up in the Back to the Future. Oh, really? It's funny how things just tie in together well, on this podcast. Use that as a, uh, the moment. a segue. segue. All right, we're hopping into the Lorian, coming back from 1981 to current day, 2014. And Weird Al just released a new album. Hmm. Uh, I'm a Weird Al fan. My wife despises Weird Al for some reason. I think she's a reptilian alien. Wow. Uh, but regardless, I still love her as she sits here already mocking me as I'm <laughs> about to gush over my love for Weird Al. Uh, of course, uh, as far as Weird Al goes on the podcast, we've mentioned before we covered his movie on it, UHF, one of the greatest comedies of all time. Uh, and actually, I'll, I'll speak over his uh, parody of Happy, which is actually <laughs> better than the real song Happy. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Weird Al, with, I was kind of worried with this album when he said he's coming out with a new album, album mm-hmm. because I don't necessarily like modern music. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like back in you the day. You won't get the. Yeah, I won't, like, oh, I've heard that song before. You know, I've heard, like, you know, I recognize what song you're parodying, but I don't, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't click, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, it ain't like back in the day where you're where I'm listening to Nirvana and then the new Al, Weird Al album comes out and he's parroting Nirvana and then Chili Peppers and you know it's, yeah. I'm not as into it so to, as the music seemed to understand. Anyway, but uh, this album it's not his best, but it's his most well written right. as far as like the the lyrics and everything. Because you know, of course, you know, eat it, eat it, oh, yeah, put yeah. it in your Classics. face, and eat, you know they're great. You know, but. Uh, these are like if if you're he's released I think eight videos over the past eight days. Or oh, it was seven. eight? I thought yeah. it was seven. It might be seven. I yeah. could be. It's one of those numbers, yeah. for sure. And uh, especially listen to the word crimes one. It's yeah. a parody yeah. of uh, Robin Thicke. If you watch the video, I mean, it's all the lyrics right there yeah. for you. And it's it's done. It's so geniusly written, and it fits the song. Yeah. Weird Al is the master parodier. Parodier. Parody. Parodier. Parodier. Uh, but I was really surprised at how much I liked the album, and I did recognize a lot of stuff he was parroting. Because uh, that, again, that was my biggest fear was just that I don't know this song that he's parroting, but the lyrics are good, so it makes right. sense. You know, it, it's it's still funny and entertaining. Uh, but of course, that's not everybody's cup of tea. As my eyes slowly drift over to my beautiful wife, <laughs> uh, who just doesn't like. I don't. I still understand that. Yeah, it's all good times. I know. I mean, eat it. I'm fat. Smells like Nirvana. Amish Paradise. I mean, not Amish. Someone's got to do yeah, it. Yeah, Amish Paradise. I was, I was thinking I said gangsters for some reason. You know, but Weird Al still has it. He's still relevant and hilarious. 
Uh, of course, you know his peak was in the 80s around the time of UHF sure. and when MTV would do Al TV, which he started that whole genius idea where he would interview somebody, but he would take <laughs> actual interviews with people and then he would post, but it would cut to him somewhere else. He would intercut the, the question and then cut to their answer for something. But yeah, we talked about that before. Uh, he still does that. Like he has still done. It. I don't know if he still does it now, but when we were talking about it before, he still did it. he called it head to head or something like that. Because Weird Al is a comedic genius. In fact, uh, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, he came to Baton Rouge for, I think it was the tour for whatever album was after the one with the Star Wars parody. I think, but uh, hmm. I didn't hear about it till after it happened, and I was so disappointed because, you know, who doesn't want to see Weird Al in concert? Aside from my wife, who just raised her hand oh, like a child, knowing a question. Face to face with Weird Al. Yeah, but uh. A whole bunch of those. You know, all you, all you youngins who are listening to this podcast, I urge you that if you've watched Weird Al's videos this week and thought, oh, this guy's actually pretty funny, blah, 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 you've only just cracked Pandora's box. <laughs> Go to YouTube, look up his older Michael Jackson parodies, of course, where his bread and butter, Madonna, Nirvana, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Coolio, some of the funniest songs of all time. And he's always entertaining, always funny. But uh, definitely check out these faces. There's a ton of them, apparently, too. Like, I don't think I've seen any of these. All right. <laughs> the last one I saw, he still had his mustache and his glasses. He didn't, he didn't have LASIK yet, you know, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. Cause, uh, and, in fact, you people who see Weird Al today and might not have seen his older stuff will be shocked to see what he looked like. He looked like Hitler's crazy brother. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, so, but his new album is it's definitely funny. It's not one that you're going to listen to all the time. It's, you know, you're going to listen to it and get a couple laughs. Of course, the videos were always a really big part of... Uh, when a new Weird Al album would come out, uh, all, the parody of the video itself was always the best part, uh, especially the Eat It one. That was probably my favorite uh, of all of them. But definitely check those out if you haven't seen them. And give the new album a listen. It's good. I think you can actually listen to the whole album, like, you know, without tracks, just like the whole, oh, really? like certain sites offer it. But I mean, again, he has eight videos up, and I think there's 11 tracks on the album. Yeah, there's plenty to look at. So and check that out. But in the real world, again, uh, Escape from New York released July 10th, 1981, on the same day. Oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, three day, no, 13 days earlier, because there was nothing on the day. But this was pretty significant. The first, very first game of paintball was played in Henniker, New Hampshire. About so two weeks. Sports rewind. Oh, thank you. I keep, I keep <laughs> forgetting how this just happens to work without Daniel here. <laughs> Should have killed him earlier. Yeah. Sports rewind. The first game of paintball was played. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, but yeah, so I. I I don't know. I, I just I never thought paintball was that that yeah. old. You know, I, I mean, in a sense, I would have thought it was older than that. Seems like it's been you know been around for a while. I don't know. I, I assume maybe it was some, some something like maybe the military used, right? You know, and then like well, con, you know, like you know, people got out of it like we should like r- do this as a recreational <laughs> thing or something. And I don't know. I, I, honestly, if I had to guess, I would have assumed it would have been late eighties when it kind of. Really? Came out, but it would have been my guess. Yeah, because I remember going to video like the the Movie Land video store in Walker. I remember when I was a kid around Bill and Ted age nine or ten, mm-hmm. uh, they would rent paintball guns and the gear. Oh wow! I, I remember going to the store like, what is that? That's paintball. You you're, you're too young for that. You know, like. So I remember. It, I remember at least I knew about it at that point. Right. So naturally, as a, I related that to when that's when it was out. But of course, we're in the Sitha, and not everything comes out, you know, when it hits New York and <laughs> L.A. and whatever. But don't forget, everybody, uh, in fact, if you want to download Weird Al's new album or check out Escape from New York, go to AwesomePies.com, click on the Amazon link, 
Uh, actually, I think New York was free for Prime members. Yeah, if you're on Prime. Yeah. yeah so, which you should be because it's a killer deal. Mm-hmm. And watch Escape from New York. And then because you love the character as much as I do, you will then buy or maybe rent, depending on this, how it's set up on Amazon, for the film, the sequel, Escape from L.A., and you'll love it despite its terrible flaws. And Bruce Campbell's <laughs> in it, so that's a plus regardless. Uh, and also drop us an email at addersvisit.gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook at Awesome Pods. Uh, don't forget, there's Geekly Dose, Duo Attack, the Jesse Sedgley Podcast. Why don't you know this? And Tim Bridgewater is still cranking out episodes. I assume by the time you listen to this for a public city report, if that show's putting out three episodes a night, I'm not sure how long that's going to last. <laughs> I'm not sure episodes are in the season. Maybe it's, it's over already by the time this is airing. But right. uh, if you like that show, he's all up on that. He's a big fan of the series, so you're going to get to listen to a fan's perspective on it, not just somebody who, you know, oh, this show's cool. Let me talk about it. It's, yeah. a, it's a fan perspective, which is always yeah. the better thing to listen to all than just somebody. from fans. Uh, and then next week, we kick off Request Month with the first film, which I've, I always saw, The Box the VHS box, and I remember it because the box cover was ridiculous, and it was one of those bigger, like, cardboard VHS... Well, they were all kind of cardboard, but it was, like, the bigger... Like, the VHS would, like, be in a styrofoam thing inside of it if you bought it. Like, it was it was the oh, oversized right, right. Yeah, the VHS really box. Ones. And in this film, never seen it, really excited for it, and this was actually requested about a year ago. So hmm. I apologize for not doing it sooner, <laughs> and I don't have your name written down who did it, but it's Condor Man. Email us. So... It's going to be a ride next week because I have no idea what to expect. But I honestly, as a kid, I always wanted to see it. But just, you know, when the there's time. RoboCop or something else to rent, <laughs> Condor Man always took a back seat. Well, let's see if you missed out or avoided an accident. <laughs> we'll see. Join us next week as we cover Condor Man. And until then, don't get sent to L.A. or New York if they are walled up penitentiaries. But until then, visit them at your leisure. And I remain Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Till next week. Cowabunga! Find this show and more on Facebook.com slash AwesomePods. And follow us on Twitter at AwesomePods.